Well, a big welcome to our live audience for coming to this episode of Digital Health Investor Talk. Today's topic is Down Rounds for Everyone, Surviving the New Valuation Environment with our guest, Lisa Sunan. I'm your host, Stephen Wardell. I'm the managing partner of Wardell Advisors, a digital health advisory firm and the author of The Future of Digital Health. Wardell Advisors is helping digital health companies address issues around growth, business development, fundraising, and strategic alternatives. Our guest today is Lisa Sunin, the Venture Valkyrie. Lisa is the president of Digital and Data Solutions at Canary Health, at Canary Medical. She's also a partner at Manat Ventures, an advisor to four other venture funds, which are Longitude, Ophelian, Cardiation, and Health, and Nina Capital. And she writes the Venture Valkyrie blog. Welcome, Lisa. Hello there. Nice to be here, Stephen. Uh, great, uh, great to have you on board. So this show is being recorded as a podcast. This is not investment advice, and we are not investment advisors. If you cycle back five quarters ago, we had an environment of low inflation and low interest rates. Economic growth was strong. The stock market had a risk-on orientation. The IPO window was open. More than anything else, investors wanted growth, and they were prepared to reward growth, including risky earnings negative growth, with high multiples. And digital health was seen as a sector with a halo, since it was in the middle of two growth sectors of tech and healthcare, and it's also a sector that is meaningful to everyone and does good. But if you then fast forward to today, you'll get whiplash, because nearly every one of these conditions has reversed. Inflation has risen from 2 to 7%. The risk-free rate has risen from nearly 0 to five per, about 5%. The economic outlook is mixed, with the best outcome at this point for the future being a soft landing. The stock market is risk-off, and the IPO window is closed. Investors are now allocating away from growthy tech and digital health. Tech valuation multiples have fallen by half or more. Digital health is painted with the same negative brush as tech and viewed, uh, and many of the dozen or so digital health IPOs have now become fallen angels. For our audience, here are some data points about valuation levels. Here I'm going to take numbers from the Public SaaS Valuation Index, which uses the metric of enterprise value over next 12 months revenue. I got these comparators from David Sachs of Kraft Ventures, who is a great resource on these topics. The long-term median valuation multiple of tech SaaS companies is about eight times. That's enterprise value over next 12 months revenue. At the height of the 2021 boom, this rose to about 16 times. Uh, at the depths of the bust, which was just last month, it was about the median was about four times. Now in February, however, because of some recent good news, it's risen to about six times. During the height of the, of the boom, the highest growth SaaS companies were trading at multiples of 30 to 35 times next 12 months revenue. Now those high growth companies are trading at about eight to 12 times. Um, if we're lucky, we may see multiples rise further above the four times or the six times, but we probably won't see multiples approach 2021 levels again for a long time, I think. Digital health CEOs are getting contradictory signals. Sometimes they're being told to make their current cash last 
the next two years to get through the ongoing tunnel, which is tough, versus being willing to take a down round reflecting these lower multiples in order to secure a new round of funding or be acquired. Sometimes there's a rift between CEOs and investors with CEOs wanting to take a down round in order to be able to act and do something and respond to the current situation and investors wanting to push out any possible down rounds into the future. Um, so I guess to start off, Lisa, you suggested, I think you helped come up with this title down rounds for everyone. Um, what did you, what did you mean by that? And what are you seeing in the marketplace? Well, I mean, one thing you didn't mention is that the height of the digital health craze was the, you know, sort of the, epicenter of the pandemic, where that was the means for people to continue to get health care or to get served for their COVID-19, you know, virtual health needs generally. Um, and now as we come to the end of at least the emergency authorization time, even if we haven't ended the pandemic, everybody thinks we have. And, you know, we've, we've cycled with that too. And I think, you know, if it weren't, if you think back to 2019, before that all happened, digital health was sort of meh, you know, most of the companies weren't doing that well, a lot of great ideas, not a lot of great operations and execution, the money was okay, but the pandemic really juiced that in a pretty fundamental way. Um, and it's rolled, rolled back quite a bit. So there's a lot of other, and there are a lot of other factors, including the buyers, especially the health systems being in, you know, kind of panic management mode all still because they've lost so many people. So I think the buyers are in great distress as well, which really puts a lot of pressure on the companies that are serving at least at least the provider market and certainly some of the others as well. So it's not, you know, it's definitely not the uh, bluebird of happiness flying around at this point. Um, but um from an investor standpoint, if you look at it from that standpoint, it's probably a great opportunity moment, especially if you're not heavily weighted in digital health yet. So it's a great time to have uh, uh, dry powder. And yep. uh, I think, you know, we chatted before about how, uh, you know, you, you may see some high flyers, which were later stage and less risky, who are now uh, trade you couldn't get into before, but they're now trading down, and this would be a good time to uh, to to get into them. Mm -hmm. For sure, for sure. I mean, valuations have come down dramatically. Um, it's it's pretty interesting time. I mean, it, usually these kinds of moments, and this is my third down downturn rodeo in healthcare of investing. Um, they have a predictable pattern, and you know the likely outcome is is the companies that will get funded is the very earliest stages because they have low valuations anyway and investors are comfortable with that to a certain extent especially the small fund investors and then the very later stages because you can buy valuable assets on the cheap basically if you're doing it right um and the middle and it creates this huge valley of death for the series kind of a b c you know a b companies mostly that, that's a really good point. And so, you know, I, I talked to a lot of companies in the November, December, January timeframe. And what I heard roughly reflected was that um, rounds like at that time, rounds like C crossover and IPO, zero of those were happening because the IPO uh, window was closed and still closed. 
although we're hearing about uh, some some bold tech companies that are thinking of possibly because we've had some lift recently that are possibly seeking to go public, which is very interesting. That would be that would opening of the IPO market sooner than I would have expected if that's true. Um, and then uh, at the level of A and B, about 30 to 40 percent of those are happening as compared to 2021. And at the level of seed and angel, um, 80 to 90 percent of those are happening as compared to 2021. So that 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 reflects what you're saying as well. Um, let, let me actually just think really big picture here. Um, let's say that a CEO has at least one investor who is saying, um, you know, make your existing funding last uh, two years uh, by belt tightening, by doing other things, in part because they don't want to see a down round. Um, mm-hmm. CEO think about that. And is it obvious they should uh, make it last two years? What if other companies are competing with or spe- still have money or still spending for growth and they're going to lose out to those companies? Or is it, it what factors of a down, seeking funding, taking a down round um, in order to be able to keep up their spending? Um, and is it obvious that, they, that companies in certain situations should do one or the other? I don't think it's super obvious, although I'd, I'd put my thumb down on the side of preserve your cash. And I would do that under any circumstances. I mean, I think one of the problems with the last, you know, the years that preceded the downturn were a complete disregard for fundamentals, a complete disregard for thinking about ever getting to profitability. It, you know, was never a good idea, in my opinion, to spend, you know, like it was 1999. Um, so I think investor, I mean, I think entrepreneurs need to be mindful of cash, no matter what their investors say, no matter what, you know, the opportunity for growth is. And if you build your company with your eye on your competitor, you're bound to uh, regret that. I think on the other hand, you know, you can't stop. I mean, certainly the day you lay off your sales force is the day you can count your sales decline from. Um, but uh, I think it has to be moderated. I mean, just because some other companies investing a lot of money and growing fast doesn't mean they're going to be able to round, raise a round later either, and they may go down. So I, I don't know. I think you have to balance these things at all times, and, and particularly right now. And one of the mistakes made was the, you know, go, go, go kind of attitude that occurred over the last several years. So something I've heard is that uh, investors, VCs have cash, uh, they have dry powder, and they're just not putting it to work right now. They're sitting on the sidelines. Um, you know, as one uh, CEO put it to me, lead investors are not leading. Are you seeing that? What, what's going on with these investors? Why aren't they, if they have the cash, what, why aren't they uh, investing at, at, say, the pace that they were um, or close to the pace they were a year or two ago? I think it's multifactorial and it also depends on the type of fund. I mean, if you're a young, new, newer fund with new capital, lost fresh capital, uh, and not a lot of portfolio companies to worry about, existing portfolio companies, you know, you're probably waiting because you don't think it's at bottom yet. So nobody wants to overpay. It's like the greater fool theory at this point. Um, you know, you want to watch until the right moment to come in is, and there's a lot of companies whose valuations are not yet down because their investors are trying to protect them by, you know, giving them, you know, bridge loans and things like that. Um, On the company, on the funds that have large portfolios, they're spending a lot of time worrying about those portfolios. (laughs) So even if they have a lot of capital, 
they certainly don't want to put it into companies that aren't going to make it. They certainly don't want to double down on old bad valuations. Um, they can dollar cost average in if they're willing to, you know, work out a valuation reduction with their existing portfolio companies. But that is a really tough discussion to have. And um, most people aren't, it's not bad enough quite yet for people to go there with their own portfolio. Uh, so I think people are sort of mildly stuck. I think for funds that are very new and small, like there's, there was a, you know, as with the last couple of times this happened back in like 2020 or 19, uh, you know, the internet bust basically 2000 and then um, 2008, um, the small funds, the ones under 50 million, say, or 75 million really struggle because the companies they put money into, if they're digital health focused, especially the early stage ones, need a lot of more capital. They don't have enough money to support them for the long term. Um, most of these companies, these new companies don't realize the importance of the so of large size reserves. And um, they're going to struggle to raise another fund. So I think they're being really cautious with their money to make sure they get some points on the board before they have to raise another one, if they can. I mean, what normally happens after these cycles is there's a significant mass extinction event for young firms. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so can you help walk us through, since you've been through two of these cycles before, and I take it that would be the global financial recession of 2008 to nine, mm -hmm. and the dot-com bust of, you know, 2000 to 2000. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what is the dynamic that goes on, you know, played out over, call it um, 18 months to two years, uh, um, you know, after the realization has sunk in that you have uh, less funding available, less liquidity, uh, lower valuations, um, maybe an economic downturn, which means buyers, uh, product buyers feel hurt and then aren't buying as much software. Uh, what, how does this play out? Uh, you know, you, uh, uh, you have uh, uh, companies belt tighten. Um, but they, and they look for new funding and there's also secondary funds out there that are, that are moving in. Can you, can you kind of go through how this process plays out? Yeah, kind of. I think it, it kind of looks like the Kubler-Ross model of grief, you know, there's a lot of denial at first, anger, then there's the bargaining <laughs> and eventually the acceptance. So it takes two to three years for this all to play out. I think, uh, not just 18 months, um, you know, first companies have to belt tighten. We're seeing it already in layoffs. We hear about the big company layoffs, but we don't hear as much about the small company layoffs, but they're happening big time. There's a lot of private M&A. So companies merging like little roll-ups, you know, for paper instead of cash. Um, you see many companies not make it. Um, the ones that just didn't have the horsepower and the proof of concept to get further funding during a time when funding is really sparse. I mean, it's down considerably in health tech. I'm trying to remember the numbers. It's like down from like, I don't know, something like 29 billion to 15 billion, so, you know, in 21, 21 to 2022, something like that, as I recall. Um, and so um, that's the company side. Um, the, companies that start up during this time, the newest entrants to the market who come in right now, 
they're actually in pretty good shape. Some great companies are made in times like this where people are are creative and austere at the same time and and can you know start with a reasonable uh, valuation that will grow as the market comes back. So they get rewarded. Um, but you got to have a lot of uh, chutzpah to start a company right now. And so, you know, that says something about the entrepreneurs in a way, uh, in a good way. I think on the venture side, what happens now, as we talked about, is there's there's this paral- paralysis that starts. And then there's the focus on existing portfolios being the primary um, activity for a while and then cautious investment in new assets as long as they are clearly you know, demonstrably in the right valuation zone, whether they're early or late. Um, but, you know, the reserves and funds go up at times like this. And so they do fewer new deals and they, um, the funds that have money for the existing companies that have, you know, a lot of fresh powder really are, you know, they they create pretty tough terms um, that affect the whole venture community, you know, all around. I mean, it's, you know, it's just business, uh, but there it is. And, um, you know, it's difficult. It's difficult. Friends, friendships are ended over these moments. You know, it's unfortunate. And something I'm hearing that's interesting is, um, is that some CEOs have cash uh, uh, now and they're somehow pivot to tech enabled services. And so the, the idea here is that, uh, is that, you know, VCs and public markets have always rewarded software product companies uh, very highly uh, because they have high margins and they can scale growth nationally fast. Um, but to build that product, you have to spend a huge amount of money, uh, you know, and even often more in health tech uh, to build the product and then sell the product uh, to get to that point. And that's risky. And so, but uh, services and tech-enabled services are less risky uh, because you're often selling a, a low-margin product, um, but uh, you you may be selling office visits uh, uh, or prescriptions or care instead of selling a software product. Um, and it's fundamentally lower margin. It doesn't have the same potential for top-line growth, but it's less risky and you can often get to break even in a year or something like that. So a business that, that you know, say, give a hypothetical example, a company that sells software to pharmacies might uh, seek to become a, a national, um, you know, consumer oriented mail order pharmacy. Uh, mm-hmm. It's uh, or uh, a company that uh, began as IP out of a mental health clinic that then sought to build a mental health product that was software and sell it nationally. will go back to focusing on its, uh, its mental health clinic that was always part of it because just, just to make it through uh, you know, the, the period. So that's one strategy I'm hearing from CEOs is to, you know, keep your IP, your team, your, your corporate structure, your, your advisors and investors all together in one place and make it through this time by pivoting to tech enabled services, let's call it um, mm-hmm. strategy. And I, I haven't seen, I haven't seen this happen yet, but I've, I've seen it hypothesized is that there are still certain trends that investors can get excited about. And one of them is, uh, AI in healthcare. Uh, so we've had AI in healthcare for a long time, um, but now it's somehow um, leveraging the 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 recent the one quarter long boom we've seen in AI technologies um, uh, from uh, OpenAI and Microsoft and Google. Yeah. 
uh, to create something really new uh, that we've seen such massive adoption of the use of these products that this is going to generate uh, a lot of software companies in business uh, in B2B, maybe in B2C as well. And that this could be a time for that, you know, a, a team that is being uh, strong armed by investors and doesn't like it. You know, one of their moves could be, you know, if, if I can't, you know, if I if it's not worth it for me to stay at this company um, because you're not making it worth it for me to stay at this company, I can take my team and we can go do an AI or a generative AI startup in healthcare. So those are those are some of the things I'm I'm hearing uh, are opportunities for for management. You know, one of the things that's always bothered me is as more and more tech investors have come to healthcare, they assumed it would be the same that you could just do, you know, tech software especially, no hardware and and no services and have high margins and, you know, hallelujah, that's the, that's the model. I don't think it works in healthcare at all. I don't think it ever worked in healthcare. And, it, you know, the low adoption of digital health, that's tech, so, you know, software only is a testament to that even before the downturn, especially before the downturn. And I think, you know, we forget that the vast majority of spend in healthcare is on services and that most enterprises in healthcare can't use tech well without services. And low margins is all relative. I mean, some of these companies have 40, 50% margins. They just don't have 80% margins. And so, you know, I, I really, I don't know. I've been, I've written on this numerous times over the last 15 years where, where services are you know, saying, why are more people not interested in services? It's a fallacy that you can sell tech without services. And so, to me, this idea now that we're going to, you know, suddenly pivot to tech-enabled services is a bit of a duh. Uh, everybody out there who buys tech struggles to integrate it or use it effectively if there's no service support attached to it. And I don't mean just support like customer service. I mean like virtual tech that doesn't have the actual virtual visit tech that doesn't have the actual clinicians enabled in it. Or to your point, you know, pharma services that don't actually have the service and support to help people enroll the patients in it or whatever it may be. I've always thought health services that is tech enabled. I mean, since being in my career, that's what I focused on has been the opportunity that, that we somehow don't like to talk about, but it is where a lot of the PE works going on right now. And that's doing pretty well. So I, I don't know, to me, it's a fallacy from the get go. Mm -hmm. um, so, Let's say that you've got a CEO of a company and they, they don't have a choice. They, they're going to need to raise money um, and conditions haven't gotten much better than they are now. So they're going to go, in, you know, and let's say they're going to raise a, a, a series B round or maybe an A round in this environment. Um, what can they expect? So, you know, term sheets were quite generous five quarters ago. Um, and then there's there's been, you know, uh, a lot of uh, stormy times since then. Um, what, what can we expect in terms of uh, other terms other than valuation levels in term sheets? Um, well, I think right now what people are, I mean, we're in the early, the, the beginning of the, the beginning in a, in a way, I think still we're not near the, um, the bottom of the cycle. And so I think in the beginning of the cycle, you expect to see lots of bridge notes rather than equity, lots of securitization of those bridge notes, which normally doesn't happen you know, lots of small size um, monetary rounds. And um, 
you know, as it progresses <laughs> and as companies. That's, and that's from investors. That is, would you expect that to be from new investors or existing investors? Both, but more existing investors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this, existing investors are trying to support their companies through major milestones and inflection, you know, events that they can make an argument that it's worthy of a new investor to come in. Um, some of the new investors are excited about some of these companies, but their terms are so onerous that the existing investors don't want to take that yet, hoping that, you know, brighter days will come. Um, uh, it, they can, but I just don't think um, they're going to come quickly. So usually those bridges don't last long enough. So then what happens is you start to see terms turn to be more investor friendly than founder friendly. I mean, we've been living in a founder friendly term sheet environment for a pretty long time and it's, it's shifting. Unfortunately, it shifts dramatically in both directions and rarely gets to, you know, balance uh, except for a minute. But we start to see things like, you know, participating preferred terms where people get multiple time investors get multiple times their money before anybody else gets paid. You start to see lots of ratchets and warrant coverages like we'll give you this much money at this price, but if you don't hit your milestones that we've written down, you know, our price goes down. So it all ratchets your share, you know, down your ownership down. If you're an entrepreneur, um, you see things like board changes and lots of, of investor rights to approve decisions. So they get more invasive <laughs> in the operation of the business sometimes. So it can get pretty strange. You know, and uh, and pay for play rounds. What are what are those? Yeah, that because that's kind of the final stage of this uh, before it starts to hopefully get better. Is investors will come in and say, "Okay, we'll invest in the company. It's a lower valuation. If you put in your pro rata, you get to stay, and if you don't, you're wiped out. Either converted to common or converted at some, you know, stock split that's very yucky." <laughs> For investors, so if you own a share now, you own a tenth of a share or whatever it may be in common. Um, usually, it results in the non-participating investors and being effectively wiped out. So, um, uh, now thinking in prospect, uh, a lot of young companies, they la- when they last raised, they raised with a, a prospective roughly eighteen-month runway. Mm-hmm. Now they have belt tightened, presumably. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, but it, the time has, you know, for many of them, it has ticked past the original 18 months. They have not raised a new round. Um, there's so much uncertainty. They, they've had trouble finding lead investors. There's a saying lead investor, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, and so then um, a- any thoughts on the prospect before us, the rough rule of thumb everyone was using in uh, uh, when I went to uh, HLTH and JP Morgan was two years. And the more pessimistic people said three years, you need to make it three years. And so they probably can't make it through three years, uh, which means they need to raise, uh, uh, you know, money. Uh, but, uh, do you, so do you, is that, do you think that's, that that's going to happen? Do you think the prospect is that, um, investors have money and will start to invest, uh, and that, that a lot of companies will succeed in a new round at a down round term, or will they make it through two years without having to uh, take a down round? How do you think that will play out? I mean, it really depends on the company. You know, some need more cash than others, right? Um, uh, 
I, I read somewhere, and I don't know the exact statistic, but something like 70% of companies have not raised in the last 12 months. Um, if that's true, <laughs> or you know, even if it's close to true, there's going to be a lot of companies coming to the market to raise money, and only the best will survive. So, oh, here it was. It's like something like in 2022, 27% of digital health companies had raised venture capital in the last 18 months. Even if that's off by half, it's half. <laughs> and um, I, I saw a lot of companies raising money for a year, not even 18 months in the, in the, in the kind of go-go days because everybody expected the numbers to keep going up and to the right. And so, uh, you know, you got to do what you can. I mean, people want to raise for 24 months, but they may not be able to because they may not be able to get their rounds filled that, that way. Um, and so they have to have multiple kind of operating models uh, that allow them to function regardless of the amount of money they can raise. And I've also seen some cases where, you know, a company wanted to raise 30 million and they wanted a t great lead investor. Uh, and then they wound up announcing maybe a 10 million round with a, with a corporate venture capital fund that doesn't typically lead um, or with another venture fund at, at 10 million for the round uh, just because, and that's viewed as a success today. That's not viewed as a weakness uh, today, but just, just to be able to get the round done, you know, in this environment. Uh, so I, I've seen that as well. Yeah. This is another one of my favorite fallacies is that corporate investors are the second class. You know, I think during the last downturn, church 2008, thank God for the corporate venture funds because they saved the marketplace. Um, they ended up stepping up at a time, even though many of them stopped investing because, you know, companies struggle, big companies struggle too. Um, but a lot of the others stepped in and filled the, filled the gaps for the, the independent investors that could no longer or would no longer participate. I don't, I think corporate investors, especially now, they've become so much more sophisticated by and large, not all of them, but many of them. And they are a little less evaluation sensitive and a little less, um, worried about short cycles they don't de they don't have the same pressure to return funds to investors so thank god for them and i think it's a win you know for companies no matter how they raise money uh, and um you know you can't beggars can't be choosers <laughs> mm -hmm. and you know I'll, I'll also mention you know oftentimes the corporate venture funds appetite might be determined by how wealthy and spendy the uh, its its enterprise feels. Uh, right. so just to do a, a bit of an around the world right now, um, the the world of of hospitals uh, yeah. is feeling kind of poor and stressed right now. Um, right. Uh, and so, but and then the world of of uh, uh, pharma venture funds and medical device and other life science uh, venture funds is feeling pretty rich and spendy uh, right mm -hmm. now. You could expect them to uh, continue to green light, um, however, however they fund their venture funds, whether it's direct from Treasury or or whatever. Uh, they're going to continue to green light, maybe even see see the downturn as an opportunity. Um, then there's payers, and yep. payers. You know, there was a, a thesis at the start of the pandemic that payers would be flush with cash due to underutilization and spend and then make huge investments in technology to reinvent themselves. And I think it's fair to say they've missed that opportunity. <laughs> and now they're back to standard utilization and 
Uh, and some of, in some cases, we're seeing them being foresightful and fully investing in venture funds like Optum Ventures. In other cases, we've seen you know those efforts struggle. Uh, and uh, what are some other areas? Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, they're very active right now. And yes, utilization has gone back up, but it hasn't gone back up to normal. And in the meantime, they made you know hand over fist cash during the times when during the pandemic. So they had three years of excess cash coming in and um, they're pretty active. Um, so I think they're, you know, especially Cigna, especially um, Optum, you know, and some of the others as well. I also am seeing a lot of activity on the retail pharmacy side. CVS has a new fund, for instance. So I, I don't know. I mean, the hospitals are definitely cutting back or out and, you know, maybe they shouldn't have done some of it in the first place, um, being as low margin as they are. I don't know. Um, I think the pharma guys, the, the med tech guys are doing, you know, more active, but there's also all kinds of others, you know, like people in the imaging companies. Uh, there's a lot of, of players, uh, Best Buy, you know, there's a lot of players out there looking at digital health assets that have money and that while they may have lower stock prices at this moment, they still have a lot of cash. Mm-hmm. That that's great, um, and uh, and also the you know big tech, uh, you know Microsoft, Oracle, um, Google, uh, Google they they are feeling rich and spendy as well. And we saw we saw you know Oracle buy Cerner, um, mm-hmm. venture funds. I would expect them to be, uh, you know, and it it seems like there's a joke that every five years big tech. Uh, you know, wants to get into healthcare and then they get out of healthcare because that's the average tenure of a big tech CEO. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so there, there's going to be some that are that are looking at at uh, a pull in in digital health valuations uh, as their chance to to move into digital health. Um, yeah, I actually think that most of the big tech companies that have been playing it lately are kind of in for the long haul now. Mm-hmm. It um, seems to me that Microsoft and Amazon and Google are well all in. Um, I saw this morning that referred to Walmart as a health services firm, which I thought was interesting. Um, So I, you know, they may be in, in ways that are more aligned with their business model. I mean, if you look at what Amazon's done well, it's, you know, distribution, right? It's serving as a channel for products mostly made by other people um, and also AWS. Um, So, you know, Google still seems to be, figuring that all out. Um, but, you know, verily, at least that division has sort of morphed to a pharmacy services firm more than other things. And they used to be doing hardware and software and AI and this and that, you know, and they're narrowing that down. So I, I don't know. I think those guys are in. Um, Best Buy certainly has gone all in, uh, made a bunch of acquisitions. So I, I think... You know, whether or not they'll be successful in a big way is hard to say at this moment in time, but it seems like they've done a more thoughtful, taken a more thoughtful approach. It's always hard to get the first one, you know? Yeah. So, my, by the way, just for the audience, my own view, which I put out on an earlier call, was that, um, uh, was that you know, what we're looking for is the Fed to signal that it will stop raising rates. Uh, and I thought that would be in Q2, Q3, and that once the Fed signals that, that that will be the signal for, um, that that will cause a lift in the NASDAQ and overall tech valuations. 
uh, and that will be the signal that will reduce the overhang of uncertainty that it, that VC investors in digital health have about valuation levels in digital health and technology. And that will be the signal for these investors who have dry powder and are waiting to jump back in to jump back in. That, might, that might be May, June, July, August or so of this year. And I, I may need to move that, um, and that, that would also be a signal for the IPO window to open again. And I may need to move that a little earlier because we're starting to see a faster lift of valuation levels, you know, from 4X to 6X of the SaaS index. Um, and uh, some signals that some daring uh, big tech uh, unicorns may try to go out for an IPO. That was somewhat somewhat of a sobering uh, talk we had. Lisa, yeah, I would say my, my final comment is it gets better. You know, the good news is cycles are cycles. They have tops and bottoms and then tops again. Um, you know, if you're bold in this moment, I think, you know, whether it's through investment, through growing a new company, through acquisition, whatever it may be, you'll probably be rewarded for it because 10 years from now, we'll all be, you know, swinging from the chandeliers again, or at least those who aren't uh, as conservative as I, despite being a venture person. Uh, and always worrying about EBITDA. Um, I think, you know, it is a sobering time, but I also think it is a time to return to fundamentals and do a great job, and, and that will for sure be rewarded. And that's a great note to end on. So thank you. Uh, you've been listening to Digital Health Investor Talk with host Stephen Wardell. Um, thank you, Lisa. Lisa is the president of digital and data solutions at Canary Medical. She's also a partner at Manat Ventures, an advisor to four other venture funds, and writes at the Venture Valkyrie blog. Um, you can find a list of upcoming Investor Talk shows at stephenwardell.eventbrite.com. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Stephen Wardell um, and get notice of upcoming Investor Talks and sign up by signing up for, up for our MailChimp list. Um, see you next time. Our show is called What's Next for Innovators? Challenges for CEOs in the New Environment with Evan Richardson, the CEO of Form Health, on Wednesday, February 15th at 4 p.m. See you next time. Thank you. Thanks, Stephen.